1: going well it's going 39 episodes of the cinematography podcast well that's how well it's going
2: that is pretty darn well
1: I'm pretty excited about that can't believe we're at 39 I can never believe each episode I'm like I can't believe we got here
2: you know what we should just believe it we should have more faith in ourselves we should from from this point forward I'm gonna be like darn right it's 39 darn right
1: (laughs) so uh how many more episodes until we run out of cinematographers uh
2: 102 oh okay so we got a few. We're, we got we're, a minute. We're, we're, we're going. We're and by going, well, then, and by 102, actually, that, that's a lie. We've we've got more than that.
1: Oh well. And anyway, by by the time we get to those new people, will have been like conceived and born and raised in loving families and gone to school and become cinematographers and will have died. Yes. Yes. That is true. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, well, but um, it, we, we're really kind of cooking with gas right now. We are uh, putting on fuel to the fire, and we are just jamming ahead on new interviews. Having you back is wonderful. Uh, it's it's, not, uh, it's great to be back. It, it's uh, I'm I'm glad to have you, and we are really uh, we got some great stuff coming up.
1: Cool. So starting with that, who do we have today?
2: Uh, today is Manuel Billiter,
1: another one who you interviewed.
2: It is. Uh, and it, it's one that's uh, been sitting around for a little while. But uh, Manuel is, of course, back with another show on the air. He's done a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff for Marvel, a lot of stuff for Netflix. He's back with uh,
1: Jessica Jones season three. Awesome. Well, without further ado, here we go.
0: The Cinematography Podcast Interview.
2: I'm here at NAB with Manuel villager And uh, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast.
3: Uh, you're very welcome. I'm uh, happy to be here. Uh,
2: That's why you're hearing a little bit of sounds of the uh, convention around us. We were actually inside of the Tokina booth, who was very gracious to set up a podcasting station almost just for us. Uh, Manuel, I like to start off every interview with sort of a stock question. And that stock question is, I've got a personal belief that directors of photography, cinematographers are part artist and part plumber and uh, it really kind of depends on on what side of the line you come down on some people might be a little bit more artist. some people might be a little bit more plumber Uh, if you are all artist, you may not have the technical competencies to be able to do what you want to do if you're all plumber you may have no artistic skill whatsoever Uh, where would you say that you fall on the spectrum where where are you in the in the artist plumber debate
3: it's funny that you should mention plumber because um, a friend of mine cam operator with a biting uh, sense of sarcastic humor. Uh, he always says when, you know, um, directors or producers uh, or it doesn't matter who uh, comes and, you know, tells us um, cinematographers how to achieve the shot, he, you know, he would always shoot back and say, well, you know, when the plumber comes over to my house, I don't tell him what tools to use. <laughs> uh,
2: <laughs> oh, oh uh, um. For our listeners, but, uh, I know exactly who this person is, and I think you should really call him out right now. Call him out on on, 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 on that sarcastic, biting comment that he made.
3: <laughs> hey, Ron Baldwin, I miss you. <laughs> um, uh, it's the Ron Baldwin
2: love fest over here. <laughs> yeah,
3: uh, no, but um, no, seriously, um, I, I think I come probably more from an uh, uh, artistic background. Um, that's where my interest uh, always uh, has been. You know, I'm, I'm if I had any talent, I would be a fine arts painter or a sculptor, but uh, unfortunately, I do not have those talents. So I do have to rely on uh, mechanical, let's say, um, capture is such a bad word, but um, on the help of, me- of mechanical tool to express uh, you know, an artistic vision.
2: Like like many people, though, and and you know, I would say it's it's y- you you may be giving too much credit to the tool right now because I think that uh, it is always the painter, not the paintbrush.
3: Right, or um, or how. Um, Michael Ballhaus in his uh, autobiography, in the preface, he mentions, he says, uh, uh, you need good eyes as a cameraman. Uh, A a good camera is helpful, but you can also use a bad one. So, yeah, I mean, it goes to say that it's really like how you use the tool and uh, hopefully nobody telling you how to use the tool and just, uh, you know, letting your intuition and your instincts take over.
2: That's a really adept, smart statement, and of course, it would come from Michael Bauhaus because you know that's a, that, that's a. Yeah, good. I
3: like I like to borrow a little bit. You know, I mean, we steal a little bit here and there. You know, I mean, we steal. I, uh, I,
2: I think that's the entire the entire industry is is based on uh, disguising your sources, so <laughs> or celebrating
3: the sources. I have no I have no problem. Uh, you know, uh, giving credit where credit is due. Uh, I think that's um, that's that, that's the least that we can do.
2: Uh, yeah, and, and I agree, and I think that, like like many of us, I know I know I'm included. I would not be sitting here at this moment if there wasn't incredible kindness for so many people who came before me, who lifted me on their shoulders and tried to help me, and tried to teach me, and tried to uh, establish some discipline and uh, understanding of the craft. So, and I, I I haven't met anyone who spent any had any longevity in this industry without uh, them also mentioning to me their mentors, their influences, and and actually that. That, that's sort of my long, complicated segue. Uh, what would you say your influences are? Do you have influences that, uh, that help create your style? Where do you get your, your ideas?
3: Um, I mean, ideas, they come from, you know, from, from many different places uh, it, it, and, and, and sometimes it can be a little bit random. First and foremost, you know, when uh, I embark on a project, I'm given a script to read and that's where it really all starts uh, with, uh, w- with the words that I find on the page there. Uh, uh, and the emotions that they convey, and, and 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 the stories that are being told, and so uh, you know at at first it's definitely um, a, an emotional reaction to uh, to what I'm reading, and and then you know um, little by little uh, maybe some images um, come to my mind. Uh, this it's it's actually I mean that that happens you know when 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 I read an novel when I read a book it always happens and, and 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 I always have these images in my mind when I when I read about a certain situation on a page you know. And, um, and I have these images and I always wondered, where do, where do they come from? Is, is this something that I've actually seen before? Or is this something that I've dreamt before? Or is it, is it just made up in the moment? And if it's made up in the moment, how, how could I put you know, those elements, those, those visual elements together in my brain? And um, yeah, um, I find that you know, sometimes quite fascinating because uh, there's no answer to that, I think.
2: I, I agree. I don't know how that question is answerable other than, uh, you know, it comes from that magic place, the ether. So just uh, out of somewhere, the, the combination in your
3: brain. You know, but sometimes it can, be, it can just start with a piece of music or you know, something, that, you know, something that pops up in my mind. It could be a photograph, it could be a painting, it could be a song. Uh, uh, you know, there's, there's many, different, uh, many different variables like what, um, what speaks to me and what it evokes. The first seed, maybe uh, you know, definitely coming from the unconscious, but uh, it evolved from from there, and and it really can be it can be many different things. It could be an idea could pop up, you know, thinking about it, you know, the day, a day after, two days after. You know, the more you think about what you just read, uh, uh, the more you elaborate on it, the more inspirations uh, you you find, because all of a sudden you focus on that. Um, Project and all of a sudden, there are all these all these ideas, you know, uh, uh, pop up, and you start evaluating them and and, and researching them and uh, discussing them with with the director.
2: How did you get the book? How did you how did you get interested in cinematography? I mean, I think I feel like it's a different story for for everybody. And uh, did did you come to it early in life? Where did, where did your desire to to make images like this come from?
3: Uh, well, the short answer would be uh, Fellini. The longer answer would be that uh, i I grew up without uh, in a, in a household without TV, which I think probably was um, uh, quite influential, because the lack of um, uh, of readily be, uh, readily consumable images that you know that just appear and disappear. I, I didn't grow up with that, so um, uh, I grew up instead with um, at one point this this heirloom this book showed up from my grandmother, she passed it on to, uh, to my mother, and it was this, this massive, folio-sized, really heavy, leather-bound book. Uh, it had this big name on it, Dante, and uh, it was you know, the Divine Comedy, and so I was looking, I was leafing through it, and uh, my language skills were not um, quite that evolved at that point, I mean, I think it was six or seven years old, maybe, or eight, and um, this book was filled with all these uh, etchings made by uh, Gustave Doré. And they were wildly fascinating. It's, you know, it's an illustration of the, especially the, the inferno part that, that really, uh, really fascinated me. And and I was, looking uh, at those uh, images over and over again. And they were, you know, quite gruesome. Uh, some of them, uh, uh, but um, but uh, this imagination again, just this this visual representation of 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 this artist. You know how he. Visually interpreted it and, and and set and set a stage for it that was incredibly surreal and and fascinating and, and cruel and brutal and visceral and uh, and very emotional. Uh, that really probably caught my attention. Also, I mean, you know, I was looking at the, I was looking at the images because uh, since the poem is in uh, you know in in a quite uh, archaic uh, form of I- Italian, I didn't bother reading it because I just didn't I couldn't make sense of the words uh, too much. Plus, um, on each page, there were actually more footnotes and, and, and annotations than actually, you know, uh, text. So it, it looked a little, it looked a little scholarly to me, <laughs> the whole thing. But the, but the images uh, definitely captured my um, my attention. So that was a very infor- uh, important first uh, first element that drew me into uh, into you know studying uh, images and looking at images and and finding emotions uh, in in images and perhaps f- you know. In the fantastical world of you know that Fellini uh, created, then on, on celluloid, maybe I found some some elements in there that that I had seen in the in the etchings of uh, Gustave Doré that he did for Dante's Inferno.
2: I think that's a that's that's a great uh, starting point. I'm I'm sure that is not your uh, your last influence. So, uh, did you en- end up uh, studying? filmmaking or cinematography formally in uh, film school situations or uh, th- What what was next for you after after Dante's Inferno
3: <laughs> I? Did study I mean, you know, what was next maybe, maybe what was next I got, you know a, a, a little point-and-shoot camera and uh, and and I learned you know how to take pictures more or less uh, under the, the guidance of, uh, of, of my father he was uh, he really liked um, uh, taking a lot of pictures and uh, not like uh, slides, uh, every family vacation, there would be, you know, uh, he would, you know, go out there with a the light meter and, you know, and, and and take pictures, and then at the end, you know, when everybody was back home, then we would have this evening of just like uh, uh, looking at the slides, and so that was, um, maybe again, um, uh, an influence of, you know, how to uh, how to make memories or how to capture moments or how to relive moments through um, a communal viewing of um, of something that. But it was a common experience. So that was definitely um, there, uh, that influence. And then, um, uh, you know, I just, you know, at one point, I just, uh, when I was a teenager, I, you know, saved money, you know, did odd jobs, and uh, bought my first SLR and uh, really liked, you know, developing and, and printing, especially printing black and white stills. But I never really thought that, you know, I would want to become a photographer. Uh, I, I don't know that maybe happened later on I did I did go to film school not really film school it was more like a theater and 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 cinema studies that I did in uh, in, in Berlin but I always wanted to you know be more hands-on and uh, I wasn't accepted at the film school in Berlin so I I tried to see if if you know if this would be anything for me you know through a summer course at NYU it was called uh, sight and sound and it was a um, it was a great experience, you know. You make like five films in six weeks or something like that. Uh, that's short little films. Just you know, you're kind of dabbling, but it's like you know, learning, learning the craft. And uh, and there, um, uh, I realized that I really liked that. I was really drawn to 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 cinematography. And you rotate like you know, you uh, you're, you're in groups of four or five students, and and you rotate in the positions of you know who does wh- who does what in in the crew. I was always asked to to shoot the project and that felt kind of like a validation of okay so you know okay if people think that I'm good at that then you know yeah why why not why not give it a shot why not keep doing it you know so you know it, it's it's important that you that you find pleasure in what you're doing and and uh, if if there is some sort of um, recognition uh, that's you know that's part of it I think that yeah, you you. It's very helpful if you you like what you do,
2: <laughs> and that's uh, you have
3: to. I, I mean, otherwise, I mean, I don't know. You know, I, I I yeah. I mean, it's 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 quintessential. It doesn't. If 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 you don't like something, and the same goes with you know, if you don't like a script that you that you, is put in front of you, then you can't do it. Yeah, you 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 should not absolutely categorically not do it. Um, uh, same with uh, if you know, with uh, with directors or uh, collaborators. If if you don't see eye to eye, if your vision doesn't or, or if your or if your character doesn't, you know, if there's no overlap, um, then you should really stay away uh, uh, from I me. Mean, I remember like in film school that there was this this kid and, and you know, and he had he threw like thirty thousand dollars at his short film and they really wanted me to shoot it. But I just thought that he was such a dick that I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. I couldn't I couldn't take it. I couldn't I, I didn't I, I you know, it, it would have been it would have been hell uh, to work under those circumstances.
2: Uh, having standards uh, generally means that you you work less often, but uh, but I'll tell you that we might be in a very different world if everyone. Uh, I, I have this conversation with my wife, and I won't go on too, too far of a tangent here, but she really believes that if you're just good at something, you can absolutely just close your mouth and go to work and, and get it done. But uh, I I seem to be of the mindset that life's too short that sometimes you just need to you need to actually find the things that really are a good fit and do those things and not uh have the soul-sucking experiences that uh that that are probably going to happen when you know maybe the script isn't so good or maybe the people who you who are trying to put it together who are going to pay you aren't the people you really want to to be working with Uh, I think that you you have to you have to decide you have to decide at what point it's worth it and what point it's
3: not and uh... Yeah. Also, because, I mean, I mean, it, it, in a way, it's an easy decision because you want to surround yourself with people that you like, that that you get along with, that share uh, a, a same, you know, a creative goal, or that share ideas that you can, that you believe in. So, um, you know, the communal aspect of, of filmmaking is very, very important. Uh, and you know, and it's just like it's just it's not just work at that point. It's just really just hanging out and 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 having fun while doing it and being fascinated while while doing it and and being surprised and and you know i mean you know there's uh, if there's if there's no room for joy then uh it, it becomes it becomes tough
2: Yeah, you know, it's like what are you doing what are you doing at that point when you when you can't when you can't find the joy in, in, inside of it so um okay so did you one day just decide i'm a cinematographer and, and that's what you're doing did you have the traditional path of following up of starting as the assistant and operator and how how did how did you uh, uh let's let's go post film school here i mean uh, in, in case some of our listeners missed the introduction where you talked about all of your amazing credits but you've done a ton of work for netflix ton of work for marvel big you know network television series you know how how does uh how do you go from uh, a student of the craft having uh have a philosophy and influences to shooting big television series
3: it, it it's it's a lot of work it's it, it's it's uh, it's keep believing in it uh, never uh, uh, losing sight uh, of, of your goals and of your passions and uh, you know sometimes you know having to take a detour uh, to get there I, I don't think that there is one straight uh, path, uh, you know, towards new goals and that I, I'm not even sure I achieved my goals uh, yet. I mean, there's, there's still some time left in my life. Uh, so, um, I think it's important to keep seeing that the process just as a journey and eventually things will, if you stay with it, it will come to you. It, it, it comes in the most incredible ways. I mean, I, I had, after film school and it was, you know, I just took workshops. It wasn't really, it wasn't really film school. I mean, I took the workshop at NYU and then after that just you know to see you know it, it is this something is this something for me you know after all the like, theoretical and analytical approach of, of, of cinema would I be able to do something hands-on and and so the professor does, uh, he 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 encouraged me strongly to to keep doing it and he suggested a different uh, course a more advanced course at a different school which you know uh, I had heard of in passing and he's he told me to you know to what was it uh, to keep the flow going uh, to keep, or you know kind of to beat the iron while it's still hot? Is that something? Is that, that, something that, that is exactly,
2: say? yeah, yeah. Strike while, strike while <laughs> the <laughs> iron is hot. Strike while the iron I mean, is hot? I mean, yeah,
3: absolutely. And so I don't know, he said, like, you, you're in a schwung now. I'm yeah, uh, schwung, uh, <laughs> as in, uh, yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a schwung? Schwung, schwung, schwung is, I mean, he's, um, he was from Israel and he was um, probably using a, uh, a Yiddish word Schwung, which means a swing, like a momentum. You know, oh yes, it's like yes, momentum, of course. And um, to to keep writing it, and just you know, and just to, to do it, you know, to do it as soon as possible. And um, so I went back to Berlin uh, to to finish my studies. It, you know, I still had some um, some outstanding tasks to fulfill. And then a couple of months later, I came back and I enrolled into this program uh, offered by the New York Film Academy and after I compl- after i did my sh- uh, my short film there and shot a lot more short films for my uh, for my uh, classmates there you know they offered me to uh, to work there with them and uh, and uh, you know they, they they arranged for a work with these and everything so it was kind of like a, a dream come true and uh, again i didn't i hadn't planned it like that i mean i was hoping that that would happen i would i was hoping that i could remain in new york and make a living working in film in new york but i didn't really have a plan i know that you know i came to do this course and the result of it was uh, quite mind blowing uh, that i was offered a job and and the work visa so i worked there for a, for a while shot more films and then I, you know again I, th- I think the joy left me of, of doing that of teaching and, and and shooting film shooting short films and um, and i want to try out you know to be a dp out in out out in the world and um, it was difficult, you know. I thought I had it, but you know, some people kind of discourage me. I mean, they encourage me, say, oh, this is really good, but you haven't really done anything. So, okay, so how do, how, how do I get to do something if I haven't done anything before? How, how can I get that job uh, if I... I mean, if you say that I can't get that job because I haven't done that before, so where, where does this vicious circle uh, uh, end? How can, I, how can I break that? How, how, how can you break into getting that job so you can get that next job? And it was hard. It was uh, it was quite disillusioned at that point, and it just things wouldn't happen. And then you know I took on a job for a friend of mine who was editing a small Mexican film in New York, and that was just I was just I was the runner, you know. I was a post production PA for this editor that you know had. Uh, um,
2: you you say small film? And, it and was I, a small Mexican film. It was a small Mexican film but are you talking about *E Tu Mama Tambien?
3: Yes, I am talking about that film. <laughs> it was, you know, I mean, it was, it was, and, and I'm saying it was a small Mexican film because whenever I had to deal with labs and, you know, dropping things off and, you know, there was not, there was not a lot of love uh, spare, you know, um, first the title, you know, people didn't understand it's like, you know, what the fuck is that? E to what? And then later after the, you know, after it came out and it, and it was a, a big success, uh, we had to go back and, um, and do some additional editing on it because uh, at the time there was, there was still uh, this company called uh, Blockbuster. Uh, I don't know if anybody remembers that. Yes, but a few of us are still old enough to remember Blockbuster. And it Blockbuster. was, and, yeah. the, and, and apparently it was imperative uh, for the financial success of a film that, that the film w- would be on the shelf in form of a VHS tape. So that uh, the film was uh, released not rated. Right. Which um, it's controversial. Which, which is yeah. Which you know because it would have been, it would have been an NC seventeen. would have been an an, an an R? What what would it be? And for theatrical release, uh, I, I don't think that they cared about the rating or you know it, it, it was going to be. But blockbuster would not put anything on the shelves that was NC seventeen.
2: And you were working in post production on on E2 Mama Tumbia. I was were.
3: working in post production. I was, you know, I started out as the runner and literally runner. You know, I mean, I thought, okay, if I have to do this, um, I have to, you know, I, I, I drop off drop off some tapes at the at at the post house at the lab. If I have to go and and, and pick up some reels to be conformed, then the, neg- the negative to be conformed. Uh, if I have to do something, you know, as as easy as that. Uh, how can I, how can I be really good at it? <laughs> and there was a driving question. I mean, uh, yeah, I kid you not. And it's like, uh, so I ran. I ran there and I ran back. And so the editor, he looked at me and was like, oh, you back already? Oh man. Well, you know, at least you're fast. <laughs> like, uh, inside, inside, I was saying, yes, yes, that's
2: that, That's, good, But you're a young guy, you're I'm just starting <laughs> out, you got this, this job essentially. I was, as I, was not that,
3: yeah, I was not that young at that time. See, this is, what, you, this you, is where you, part of my de- <laughs> de- disillusionment came. Uh, came uh, yeah, everyone's uh, got to start know, somewhere. Up, but, Everyone, you know, yeah. I, was, um, I was 33 at that time. That's not young. Oh, I mean. <clears throat> <laughs> um, but it's not. Yeah. So um, you know, I I've obviously I, I you know I, uh, I I interact. Also, you know I I, I you know the director uh, uh, Al- Alfonso Cuaron uh, w- w- was there uh, most of the time, and we established uh, you know a, a good relationship. And then so when when blockbuster when the blockbuster issue came up and uh, they needed an, an, an R rating for the film, and they just wouldn't get it. The MPIA just kept you know saying no, oh, this is NC seventeen. No, this is not 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 R. So, um, uh, Alfonso, you know, uh, he he wanted me to to edit an R-rated version. He's like, oh, I don't, I don't know the avid. I don't. Yeah, just you know, just play around with it just for a couple of days, and just you know, you know, you have to hear that you know, people at the post house, uh, that what the what the avid that the rent does the avid, you know, they they'll help you, and 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 they did, they they really helped in a big time uh, and and you know saved my life a couple of times so uh, again you know without the help of uh, uh, of a bigger community you're uh, you're not gonna get much and and so you know uh, we, we submitted uh, version after version after version then alfonso he kind of lost uh, lost uh, interest in it because it's like this is not my film anymore if i have to cut it up so much if you have to replace scenes and uh, if you have to take out scenes and replace me with others this isn't this is not this is not my cut anymore so you uh, know so he kind of let me you know, let me find ways to 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 get that R rating, without compromising the the film, uh, the original film, too much. And finally, we got it. And you know, and then we we, we came up with this R-rated version. And uh, yes, I was I was the editor the editor on that. But
2: that, but that wait a second. I just I just want to take a moment here to. For for those of the, for you who are you're listening right who, who don't understand your your first professional job it sounds like then was a runner for post production and then at some point Alfonso uh, Academy Award winning
3: Alfonso Cuarón. Well, he wasn't. He he hadn't uh, won yet. Yeah, not yet. But <clears throat>
2: but now through through the 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 focus of history he says to you, you know what, kid. Here, you please edit my movie. You please try to help find this to help get a cut that will uh, that will pass the MPAA's, uh, you know, very very at that time conservative uh, viewers who didn't want to give it in our rating. That's a that's a pretty big uh, task and uh, opportunity for someone who's just starting out in uh, just starting out in this industry. That's. Uh,
3: it, yeah, I mean, in in, in in hindsight, of course, it's uh, it's 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 amazing, it's it's crazy uh, that that detour. But you know, one of the one of the perks that uh, came with working um, uh, on that film in post production was uh, it was shot by one of my idols in cinematography, yeah. <laughs> so I could watch take after take, outtake after outtake, scenes that weren't in the film. I mean, I could really. Look at Emmanuel Lubezki's cinematography, you know, from the from the front seat, uh, basically, and then you know, hearing stories that Alfonso was uh, 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 telling uh, about the shooting, or how they achieved that shot, or uh, the editor as well, uh, uh, Alex Rodriguez, who uh, who then went on, you know, working, you know, several more times uh, uh, on them uh, uh, with Alfonso. He got actually an Academy uh, Awards nomination for uh, Children of Men as uh, as an editor as well. So it's kind of it, it's. It's crazy how things happen sometimes.
2: And, and and of course, at the era of Itumama Tambien, none of these people were the, the people that they, they are today, at least as far as uh, known and popularity, but they're still the same people and you got to essentially uh, you, you you were got to hitch your wagon to their star a little bit too as a, as a young guy well, I know you think 33 is not young 33 is plenty young and you get and you get the ability to uh, it, to have these uh, these influential folks you know uh, give you a leg up which is great
3: and yeah and especially just, uh, just believing and believing uh, uh, in me i mean you know I I, I I took the job because I couldn't you know because I, uh, because you have to take a job at one point you know now, um, but also, like he was very, inf- he was uh, he was very influential in, in, in me pursuing, uh, you know, uh, my path as a cinematographer. He knew that I wanted to be a shooter, so uh, so during during the the editing process, the original editing process, which was quite long, I got a call to be a focus puller on a uh, horror film that my uh, cinematography teacher at the New York Film Academy was shooting. So he got the job. He needed needed a a camera assistant, and he asked me if I was interested, and and I was. And and so I had, you know, I had to tell uh, um, Alfonso and uh, Alex that, you know, that you know, possibly, you know, in a month or so, I would have to take a break from this post adventure. And and they were, you know, I mean, Alfonso was was strongly uh, supportive of it and said, absolutely, yeah, I could do it now, and you know what. And I said, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I've never pulled focus before. And oh, you know what? Well, you know, it's good. It's a great job because you, you're right there in the front row. You're right there by the camera, and you're right there with the actors. And it's 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 good. It's a good job. And it's like, okay. <laughs> okay so, so in a way, um, uh, he was definitely influential in me uh, not giving up uh, on my on my dream and and know um, pursuing uh, a path in cinematography.
2: So. You started working then as a camera assistant to camera yes. operator. I know I looked at, at at your IMDb credits, and you did that for a long time. And uh, w- were you on Law and Order? Was that the, was the was that that when you started shooting television? Or yes. You, yes,
3: yes. I mean, I, I I joined the union, which was another uh, uh, very very influential and important uh, uh, step. I joined the union as a camera assistant in two thousand three, and within three years, I I bumped up to to camera operator. You know because you know after after a while when you operate quite a lot then you have to change category which i had to i was again lucky that uh, you know i was given the opportunities as a focus puller very often to just operate b camera or you know i, I got the trust of uh, a cinematographers you know to, to to bump up on 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 b camera days and also of the directors that like my work as an operator and encourage me so again you know with the validation comes some joy and um and i changed my car to to camera operator in in 2006 and then within yeah then i got the job again by accident in a way i got the job as uh, as a as the a camera operator on on law and order i had never done tv uh, at that i had done as a as a focus puller i'd done um a, a great tv show called stella that was uh, that was uh, that was a lot of fun but again, sort of by accident, I, I, I you know, this, this uh, cinematographer, he, you know, he walks by the set that um, on, on on this movie, on this little indie movie that we were shooting, and I was the operator, and uh, the cinematographer, uh, Bill Clayer, he he knew some of the camera assistants, and uh, so we met, we shook hands, and he said, you know, "I'm looking for a camera operator on my show." I said, "Oh, what is it? "That's Law and said, "Oh, okay." I, I've, I had heard of that before, and also at that point th- there were not many shows when I, when I came to New York in the, in the late '90s, and, and throughout, you know there were not a lot of TV shows, uh, much unlike now. So of course, Law and Order was kind of like this, you know, this uh, you know top-notch uh, um, TV production that was happening in in New York, um, and uh, and I got the job, you know, and so I started I started doing that, and uh, and and it was great because it, you know you just learn a lot and, and you just. Do it over and over and over, and you just really hone your craft. Uh, yeah, during during my stay, I, I wasn't there for long. I was there for you know two and a half seasons. But you know, f- uh, um, my second season there, I got a chance to uh, to shoot an episode because you know the network, you know, scheduling. I don't know, just out of the blue, say hey, we need to deliver uh, an, an episode. My episode's much quicker now. We have to shoot two episodes at the same time, and so I go like, oh, great. I mean, maybe that's maybe maybe I should you know throw my uh, my hat into the ring—is
2: that—is that an expression? It is. It is. Yeah, it is absolutely an expression. Throw my hat yeah. into the ring. Yes.
3: Yeah. I didn't have a hat at that time. Yeah, you were. I wasn't <laughs> wearing a hat, but I still did it. <laughs> <laughs> and again, um, it, I, I wouldn't have thrown my hat into the ring uh, if the gaffer on that show hadn't strongly encouraged me to do it, because it was a little daunting. It's like, all oh, right, this is, not, this is a uh, this is a big TV show. It's kind of you know, uh, with a, you know, with a great pedigree, it's been a lo- it, it's been a, uh, around for a long time, and you know, just me just like stepping up and shooting it, I, I wouldn't really know how to manage the whole process uh, for shooting, uh, for shooting an episode. Yes, I know lenses. Yes, I know shots. I know, I know, I know camera. I know, I know I, I can, I can be creative like that. But then there's a whole, the whole logistical, the human
2: management. The yes, human,
3: the management. Yeah, you know, yeah. like uh, talk. You know, uh, the lighting and all that. And also because you know you you're working in TV, uh, so on episodic TV, so you can't really change the look, you know, from one episode to the other, unless it's you know it's part of of, of the show. But definitely that wasn't the part. Uh, that wasn't the case in uh, on Law and Order. And so it really was the gaffer there who said, you know, um, you know they're doing the, you know they're doing this tandem episode, you know, they don't want to shoot it. And I was kind of, I was a little bit yeah, well, I was a little insecure. And he read that and he said, look, don't worry about it. Look, look, we know how to light it. You just deal with. You know, with the camera, the shots, and the director, and the lenses, you know that, we just do the lighting, okay, and, and, thus, and that was an immense weight, uh, was lifted from my shoulders, and so, um, you know, I went up to the producer, Hey, I'd like to do that, you know, I think I have the support of the crew, and here, here's my reel, here's what I've done, I know that nothing on this reel qualif- qualifies me at all to to take on uh, an episode of Law and Order because you know it's all short films it's black and white it's I mean it was it was all over the map and um, and no sure you know, you know it's, yeah, okay and so they were very supportive uh, and uh, and I did and, and I shot my first episode there with I was at, the, at a great uh, a great director first director that I worked with uh, we got along very well so 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 that again you know helps uh, tremendously. And that's and that's how it, that, that's how it started. That's that's was my, my my first episodic show on network TV. It Was kind of mind-boggling to see then on TV to see you work. there, was it was it was it was surreal. And then you know the the following season I did maybe two or three I, I got a couple more episodes because my um the, the cinematographer stepped up to direct a couple of episodes. So when he was directing, I would shoot them. So so you know I got a couple more episodes. Uh, um, uh, under my belt like that, and then uh, yeah, and then the show got cancelled, <laughs> and um, uh, much the surprise of everybody because everybody was rooting for uh, Law and Order breaking the record as longest running drama series. You know because we, they had gotten to twenty seasons, and twenty one would have been the record breaking one. So you know even if at that point probably not a lot of people were watching the show still, and and it it, it may or may not have been a losing uh, enterprise. Everybody thought, well, yeah, of course they're going to go for it, season 21, because it's one for the record books, you know, it's one for the history books. And lo and behold, it was, um, that didn't happen. So again, you know, where to go now? What What's next?
2: Well, well, it turns out that was a really fateful decision. It was a really fateful decision that you had the gumption, the chutzpah, the, the, the motivation to go and seek out the producers and say, hey.
3: I think I could do a
2: great job with this,
3: and and I could not have done this, and I cannot stress it enough. I could not have done this without the support of the crew. I mean, they were they were there. They 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 you know they they let me stand on their shoulders and they carry me through that. You know, without that, without knowing that, I it it, I, it wouldn't have happened anyway. Uh,
2: uh, it's not taking anything away from you though. To actually, I mean, at that point, you you had to you had to say, hey, look, here's my real, here's my thing. This the crew supports me. And I, I think it's very, very humbling experience to have to go in front of someone, you know, uh, as they say, hat in hand and say, look, I'm I want to do this. Can you can you give me a break? And they did. And that's that's amazing. That's, yeah. a, that's, a, won- that's a wonderful. Uh, no, it is also. I you. mean,
3: I think I think that was that was traditional also pretty much uh, 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 in, in the DNA of, of, of that show of Law and Order that they promoted from within a lot. I mean. The, uh, uh, Bill Clayer, he had started, um, the DP at the time who hired me, he had started as a as a, as a company electric, moved his way up to best boy, a couple of seasons as a best boy, then a couple of seasons as a gaffer, and then a couple of seasons as uh, director of photography, and then on on the last season, director. So, you know, I think it's quite a, tra- it's quite a t- trajectory from electric, from company electric to director.
2: Okay, so uh, Law & Order, a person of interest. was per- person of interest ran for a while. And that's how we get to Ron Baldwin. So I...
3: <laughs> finally. Finally.
2: <laughs> Ron Baldwin. Ron Baldwin, who is a Steadicam operator, sometimes in New York, sometimes in LA. And Manuel and I both know now for over quite a lo- uh, quite a long time. But uh, Manuel got to work with him much more recently than I have. And boy, is he a snarky guy. Snarky, <laughs> I think, is the right word. We're, we're really digging a dev- you know devolve this conversation here for a second. Because, you know, uh, we, we love Ron very much, but man can he really like just like destroy you with a word i mean he can he can it's (laughs) a (laughs) a special (laughs) skill it's a
3: special skill but it's not it's a he can, he can, <laughs> but most most of the time uh, he uses uh, words in, in in good in good humoured spirit. So um, he, he does. I, huh? I, I I commend him very much for that.
2: Okay, okay, that's an, uh, enough about Ron. T- tell me how how you how person of interest. Now you've got a few shows. Now you've got a few episodes under your belt. How does person of interest come? Because person of interest then seems to me, at least if if I understand correctly, looking at the work you've done for Netflix and all these superhero shows, uh, that seems to be like a jumping off point, a real a real big step in your career.
3: Well, yeah, I mean, it was, it was. Um, it, it, I had to take a step back, though, a person of interest, I was hired as, as, as the B-camera operator uh, uh, on that show. And um, so, you know, just as, as, you know, and that was nothing, you know, nothing new for me, um, you know, to take step back or two steps back, as I had done previously, in order to, uh, to, uh, to to become a cinematographer. So, so that was, I mean, you know, if if if, if you get your foot in the door, uh, it's and you're in the room, uh, you know, it's 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 up to you to shine and, and to make the most uh, out of uh, your presence within that space. So, Person of Interest had this had this system where they had, um, you know, um, first of all, they had two two uh, DPs uh, originally and. And they had the schedule built so um, the last day of, uh, the, of the episode would, uh, would be shot in tandem with the first day of the next episode, uh, which works if you have two um, alternating uh, DPs. But this, this this two alternating DPs uh, scenario, uh, it was uh, it was cancelled after uh, you know uh, not 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 that long of a time, and so they were stuck with with a schedule that kind of mandated that you know uh, that that one at least one day of each episode would be a tandem day, would be a double up day, and um, and so I, I you know I understood that, and I again I went up to the to the producers and said, look, I mean I've done I've done. Uh, six or eight episodes of, uh, of Law & Order. I mean, you know, I, 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 would love to, I would love to step up and, and, and be the, the tandem DP for those double, double up days, you know. They went for it and, um, it, you know, that's how during the first season I just, you know, I, I was the operator, but I also, you know, ended up shooting, you know, 20 to 30 days off um, as a DP, which, um, which helped keeping that foot in the door. And then uh, for the, for the second season, I, I shot a, a full episode, and then again there were some you know some some directors, uh, some DPs were hired, some some were fired, and uh, I got another break, which is sounds really sad that I, again I, I got a break for uh, because of someone's uh, misfortune. It's 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 terrible.
2: That is how life works, though. But that yes, exactly
3: in a way. Yes, and. Um, and i've been in that i've i've been on the receiving end of the misfortune uh, years later as well so um, you know that's why i'm also saying that it was it it's it's there's something negative about you know uh, gaining some something positive out of someone's uh, uh, loss but yeah um,
2: of, of course there is and this is this
3: is actually a, a
2: topic that we i think we've talked about a, a little in the show in other ways but um, yeah and and i'll tell you that a lot of people actually don't <clears throat> generally, want to talk about it, but uh, people get fired. People get fired all the time, deserved or undeserved, and um, replaced. We've had p- big cinematographers on the show have been fired and, and replaced, and it's not a it's not a, a happy topic to talk about. But sometimes, if you are just oil and water and you don't get along with someone, then uh, you know it's uh, yeah. You know you have to move on. You have to try again.
3: No, absolutely, and and it really is part. I mean, we you know in the end we're all re, uh, very much replaceable, and 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 if, if 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 something is going wrong, or if something is being perceived as going wrong, or or or, or somebody in in this committee that you know that we don't really uh, have access to, and 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 don't know if it exists, we know that it's somewhere out there, but we don't know who they are, because um, most of the time it's you know it's uh it's it's uh, it, it remains um not nameless but uh, you know when it happens it's 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 terrible and it's and it, and i mean sometimes people know it's coming uh because you get you have a feeling about it or, or you feel yourself that oh, this is this is not working out but uh sometimes it comes out of the blue and it just strikes and 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 you're just stunned uh, but um i mean you know it's um it's part of the deal i mean one once you're in that position you are much more of a target. You have much more uh, responsibilities, and you also become much more of a target. And 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 sometimes it's political move. Sometimes it's absolutely uh, legitimate that you know somebody is is asked to leave. Um, but you know it, you just have to move on. And and I, I remember when it happened to me. Then um, one of the one of the producers on the show or or or, or former producers on the show uh, said, "Oh, well, you know, on the upside, now you're now you're real DP." And it's like like, what? It's like, well, yeah, you know, as Gordon Willis used to say, you know, you're not a DP until you get fired from your first job. I said, like, oh, well, OK, great. That's uh, yeah, that's that was a little consolation at the time. And and uh, and I, I don't wear this as, as a badge of honor. But um, yeah, yes, it's 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 there. Uh,
2: it's just a, it's a thing that happens. It's a thing that happens in this industry and it is, and at, it is. At, if you have any length of time in this industry, if it didn't happen to you, you definitely know someone who what happened to so? Uh, okay, so you've been uh, operating and now getting this, oppor- this opportunity on person of interest. Does Netflix come into the equation for you with uh, with uh, Orange Is the New Black? Is that uh,
3: it was actually it was actually the um, the, the line producer and uh, the UPM. Uh, who reached out to me uh, for Orange. And I, I was a huge fan of the show. I, I loved the show. I, I loved the writing. I loved the acting. I loved the, I loved the whole concept of the show. It was, it was new, it was fresh, and I just, I just loved the concept of, of the show. So, 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 I, so I, I jumped on it, you know, so, you know and, uh, and uh, I was able to shoot three episodes.
2: And but that's that's sort of opened the door to you to, to Netflix, and that started a tidal wave, I would say, of, yeah. uh, of high profile series. That uh, I mean, no one no one knows the exact uh, the exact viewer viewership of any of the shows because Netflix doesn't make that uh, public. But beyond all that, uh, these are some of the most talked about shows currently on TV too. So it's like Jessica Jones and Luke Cage and Iron Fist and The Punisher. But I mean. That's 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 a great run. That's a great run. Just in the last couple of years, you've been incredibly busy. So.
3: I I have been, and I feel you know, incredibly lucky and, and, and grateful uh, that I was given this opportunity, or that I was, or that I you know that I keep coming back, um, you know, and that I was given the opportunity to uh, to shoot not one but you know three uh, separate shows with you know about separate characters, that setting you know uh, creating the look uh, setting setting the look you know working with uh different showrunners and and different set of actors and uh it's um it, it's been really great i'm just lucky I, I was just you know i was just you know there for uh, by luck in a way and you know if i hadn't get, gotten fired from that job i wouldn't have been in the running for any of these shows because i would have been on a job that i liked and uh, uh marvel would not have come knocking at my door
2: it, one door opens when the other door closes. It's like you know, it's 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 a it's a cliche, but it's true. There's and it's it's great that you've had, had this this wonderful opportunity. And we don't get too much into to tech in the show. We're not a, we're a tech based show, but I did want to ask you a couple of quick questions about knights. Uh, you shoot. Uh, you have a really cool style of nights, and I've seen your work on some of these Marvel shows, and I've watched a Little of Person of Interest too of episodes that I know that, that you shot. Uh, how would you describe your night exteriors in particular? You do. You do some. You do some big set pieces. So. Yes. Um. I mean. Uh,
3: yes. I'm, 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 it. It. It appears that. I'm, that. I'm gravitating towards shows that require a lot of uh, uh, urban night shooting. Which is, <laughs> That's so true. Which. <laughs> um. Uh, you know. It's. Um. I'll, you know, it's 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 a it's a blessing because I really like uh, 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 creating uh, that uh, that look and 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 shooting in in New York at night on the streets. It's uh, it's 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 quite amazing. It's got an incredible energy. And uh, you know, on the flip side, you know, you're just working working nights. You know, and and very often you just come home from your day's work, and it's uh, Saturday morning at seven a.m. Uh, you know that's when the work week ends and um, and the work week starts again on Monday morning at five am when I have to get up and you know start doing some day work or studio work on the show so it's uh, it it it's for the people
2: listening to this podcast, uh, there is actually an industry term for when you wrap uh, your Saturday at 7 a.m. It's called a fuck you Friday. Oh, no, <laughs> I didn't know that. Oh, that's so crass. No, that's, that's so crass. Uh, I'm, we, I'm sorry. We do. We call it Friday.
3: We call it Friday. <laughs> call it Friday, <laughs> the Friday uh, yes. Because, uh, <laughs> because you know, I mean, it's um, it, 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 it just it just so if there's night exteriors that they, they have to be. They have to be shot at night you know there's 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 there, there, you, you can't you can't do it uh, any other way um so um yes they tend to schedule those nights towards the end of the of the week because you know if you start out on a monday with night work then you will stay in uh, night work all week and most of the time there's not enough night work to fill five or like, like 60 uh, 60 hours of shooting that, that's true you, so um so it's it's unfortunate but i mean i don't there's, you know, there's there's no other way around it. I mean, one way around it is, you know, if a producer comes in and, and scratches that, you know, the, on, on, the, on the script, instead of, you know, scratches out night and writes day instead. Yes, that, that, that's that, that, the only that, that's way to way. get around. Uh, the Friday days. Okay,
2: so uh, uh, per- perhaps I'm being crass with both "fuck you" Friday, and it's, it's really a Saturday. Is yeah, uh, you know, Friday is uh, is is maybe the more polite that's the PG way to put it, term. The, the PG term. But I think I worked on a lot of independent productions, and it was like you know that, that there's there's a lot of cursing on set, and there's you know there's can be cursing oh, yeah. on this on this podcast. You know, so we have the little explicit symbol. But uh, what, what I was going to say is that um, yeah, that that's hard work. I mean, when you start shows too during the day, and you graduate to nights, and then you're doing these. Uh, These all nights and then starting back again on Monday 6 a.m. that that it's not it's not a weekend It's a you know, and you work so you work so hard to do it, but okay So
3: it's it's hard and if I may quote our friend Ron Baldwin again here, (laughs) is like he says that basically uh, a schedule like this where you start at 7 a.m. on a Monday and then uh, By the time Friday comes along you start at 5 p.m. Basically, that's like, you know, you start out shooting in uh, in LA and then by uh, Wednesday, you're shooting in uh, New York, and then on Friday, you're shooting in London, and then you fly back to LA, and on Monday, you start uh, shooting uh, back in LA. So that's that's really what, it, because it really is, it's kind of like a jet lag, and you deal with it you know, uh, week in, week out, and it's, it's taxing uh, but you know i mean it's, i mean at least we, we don't long, we don't work long hours i mean uh, on 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 these shows uh, there's there's a cap at you know at 12 hours 12 and a half at the most and so you know we don't do these super long uh, uh, work hours it's just that where they fall within the schedule within the within the time frame that is that is uh, you know, taxing.
2: Well, I think that's great, and it's great to hear that uh, that Netflix is actually really adopting a strict twelve hours because. Um,
3: I mean, I'm not I'm not talking on behalf of Netflix okay, or Marvel. Uh, I I don't know you know who <laughs> who's who who creates this uh, this 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 rule or if it's individual or, producers. Or, or maybe I don't know it's if your it's show. company company yeah. policy or whatnot. But I, I I cannot speak to that. Uh, I, I'm, I just, I'm not I'm just, not asking just, you to. Yeah, but yeah.
2: Uh, but <laughs> all all I was going to say is that I'm glad that. There is some sanity and, you know, the rest of the world, maybe not the rest of the world because I understand China and some other parts of the world, they work days that are even longer than than U.S. standards. But uh, I know in, in much of Europe, they look at 12 hours as crazy. And, oh, yeah. Uh, but but it's uh, it is the normal. It is sadly the normal for for the, the American system, although. Really? Compared to many jobs that I did when I was coming up, 12 hours is not bad. 12 hours isn't bad compared to, you know,
3: we've we've all worked out, you know, 14, 16, 18, 20 hours, 24 hours, which is absolutely crazy. It's 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 really it's really inhumane. I mean, there's there's no other term to. To use, if, if, if it gets that abusive, it's and, and, and yes, in a way we, we are willing, you know, to give it all and, and to do it and, and to see it through and, and you know and to work uh, all those long hours and, and uh, it's it's it, it's it's a little bit baffling when you think that you know that unions uh, you know fought for like you know eight-hour workday, you know eight hours of work, eight hours whatever you want to do, and then eight hours of sleep. That's that's that should be your twenty-four hours of life.
2: Yes, it should. It should, and, it should always and, and be.
3: And even now, and in, in, in a way, movements like uh, in, in our industry that's, that 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 advocate for twelve on, twelve off, meaning 12, 12 hours on the clock, twelve hours off, um, it's still it it's it's better. You know then then 16 on and eight off but it's still not uh, it's still a long way from from what the norm is in other workforces so um you know because you know 12 off means you know many people they they commute then for an hour and a half or for two hours uh, uh during the 12 hours off so you have 10 hours off so uh and eight hours you should be sleeping so there's really there's there's no time for uh for anything else.
2: I think a lot of people don't don't understand. I mean, there are there are some other occupations where people work long hours, uh, including uh, pilots and law oh, enforcement, and and doctors, and, doctors yes, and all kinds yes, of things. Absolutely. But generally, uh, generally, they do have an understanding of when their day will start and when their day will end and with production, at least certain productions in the past too, you'd have, you might have no idea and you might not even know the place that you're going to finish. You might have three different locations that day. So yeah, uh, I, I'll get off my soapbox about long hours, but uh uh, I mean, I'm re- I'm am re- glad to hear that what that you've managed nights and you've mastered the managing of long crews, large crews. And okay, so I really got off this topic the this topic because I want to talk about your lighting it at night. Yes, right, yes. And totally uh, got off topic. <laughs> so, but I want to talk to you about uh, lighting. Are, are you uh, have you converted to LEDs at night? Are you doing uh,
3: sodium vapor we, style? We, what, we what, do, do, what do you do? We do no. I mean, at at night. I mean, um, uh, when 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 lighting for night, I um, you know, I. I, I tend to use uh, you know whatever naturally is 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 present at, at the loca- at, at the location when, it, when it's street it's you know sodium vapor lights so then you know I augment that with you know uh, you know big condors and, um, and, and and big lights you know uh, uh, out of frame to backlight um, um, the scene as if it was coming from um, from the you know the, the, the naturally occurring um, street lights that are there. Which um, which brings me to this topic, where you know sodium vapor is now uh, very rapidly disappearing uh, out of the, the urban landscape. So, um, and there was always I mean I, I really like a uh, uh, sodium vapor. I I, I uh, it's got this this warmth. It's got this grittiness. It's got this this dirtiness uh, to it because it's it's not it's not a pretty orange. It's 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 kind of a dirty orange. Jessica Jones Season 1, I mean, everything, you know, all, all my backgrounds were, were, uh, were lit like that. You know, I had the crisscross from the street, from the street level or um, from Condors. And uh, for Season 2, you know, um, most of the streets had, been, had converted to, to LED lighting. And, and that's, that's, that's much closer to, um, that's almost daylight uh, color temperature. Which is why you know a lot of people are talking about you know the health uh, the health uh, implications that you know that it does to your brain when you know when you when you um, uh, exactly yeah. thank you when yeah, you're exposed, exposed to, to, to daylight uh, even at night. Um, so what I did uh, for season two uh, was uh, I asked you know to uh, the the, the riggers to uh, you know to gel those lights. You know, we, we made up some uh, some 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 plexiglass uh, paddles, and and um, I use um, uh, half CTO and, and, and super white flame sandwiched in there, and then we would just uh, and and some uh, 250 diffusion they're very pungent those uh, those uh, those LED lights they're little they're, they're, they're very pointy and they're, they're, they're shrill so um, hence uh, you know the, the diffusion and um, you know and and I'm lucky that that I had the resources that um, at the time for you know for the crew to do that and 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 prep the street during the day so when the lights would come on they would come on in the in the right color and um, you know um, uh, actually, it was funny because it, it, it happened. It happened to me on, on Luke Cage once that where we where we started we started the scene uh, up in Harlem, and then because it was multiple nights, uh, we, we it was decided that that the continuation of the of the scene would take place around the corner, but now in in, in Bushwick in in Brooklyn, and and we scouted it and I looked at it. Okay, the, the the night sources are the same, so in vapor amazing. And then you know, uh, ten days later, when we came to that location. <laughs> In, in Bushwick, uh, the streets, uh, they had changed the lights to, to LED. And I was like, fuck, uh, you know, uh, you know what now? I mean, <laughs> do I do I uh, change all my lights from underground or uh, all my lights in the in, in, in the condors? And then we just um, tweak it in post and uh, color correct it in post to, uh, to match everything. Or I or we just going to uh, just gel it. And then, um, you know, again, uh, I was there early enough and the rigors were still there you know, the lifts were there and we just started wrapping the heads, you know, one by one. And, uh, and yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of crazy. But yeah, that was, um, it, it was essential to do it because, uh, uh, otherwise it would have lost the continuity of, uh, of, of, of the scene, you know, all of a sudden they're in a completely different lighting situation.
2: So I think we've done a really good job of, of talking about, uh, all of your, your most recent stuff, but if you can talk about it, what's next for you? What's, uh, what's, what's coming up? What's, uh, what's new?
3: Uh, what's new? You never know what's new, you know. Uh, uh, there's, uh, there's, um, you know, there's mysteries. Uh, <laughs> mysteries abound <laughs> because to, no, no, to, be no, no. to be determined. To be determined. I mean, I, I, I like to keep, uh, you know, uh, um, my eyes open and my mind open. And uh, I would love to shoot a film. Uh, I would love to shoot a drama. And that's really, you know, as I was saying earlier, you know, if you keep, if you keep your mind set on a certain goal eventually it'll come and, and 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 I've been taught that it, it does and um, so you know I'm, I'm I'm not giving up hope quite yet but uh, you know this, this you know, d- d- I d- mean d- this d- you should,
2: you're you're a young guy you do not need to, to give young, up hope okay. I mean, come on. <laughs> uh um, yeah so okay so so the the future's yet to be written
3: you're, you're not sure what the, It's what, always is yeah. it, it always has to be written and 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 um, it, it, it would be quite daunting if, if you knew. It. I mean sometimes it's nice to, to be able to plan ahead, but sometimes it's also nice to be spontaneous and, and, and be creative and, 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 and react to, to, to things that come. And, and the things that come very often are actually things that you've been you know, preparing or that have been in the making for years before you just you, you just didn't know it.
2: I think that's a really good place to uh, to leave it. Hey, uh, Manuel, where can people find you online? Do you have a website? Do you have a reel? Do you have a, anything? You uh, I, I, on social media? I
3: used to have a website, but now that I have an agent, uh, I just transferred all my stuff onto onto their uh, onto their website. Uh, all my reels are uh, are, do you, are there. Do you Instagram. I, should, I, I, should, I have Instagram. My uh, is it called handle or is it called? No, yeah, your Instagram it, name. It's name. Got, yeah. Yes, it's it's Zaha Bill. Z is in zebra. Zaha Bill, B-I-L-L. Cool,
2: uh, that's great. So definitely check out Zaha Bill on Instagram where you can see uh, some of Manuel's photography. I assume you, you put it up there, or so you'd have little screen grabs of some of your stuff?
3: No, there's no screen grabs uh-huh. there. I mean, uh, all my Instagram stuff is exclusively iPhone pictures. Oh, right, Very Nothing cool. else. <laughs> I, 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 it's, it's, I think it's 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 a, it's a good platform to, I know. It, it's if People look at it on their, on their iPhone, or their smartphone. And so um, I I think it's okay to just use your iPhone uh, or your smartphone to post stuff that are being viewed on uh, on an iPhone I mean if you go and look at it uh, on on a computer screen yeah it, it uh, it's all of a sudden it doesn't look that great anymore but uh, this, I, is, this, is, this is my iPhone photographer I,
2: I think I follow like 500 dps on on uh, Instagram and I think it's a lot of fun because uh, if you want to see great photos that just happens spontaneously yes. with, with, and that's and that's what it's great for it's it's, it's, it's all harder.
3: about being spontaneous and just finding something and finding something or seeing something that inspires you and you don't know why but uh, um, and also, it's it's, it's 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 kind of crazy that every time. Every time I see something or I, or I want to take a picture with the intent of, because I see that it has the potential to be uh, Instagram worthy, you know, I, I take it and then I say, oh, no, I yeah, you could just yeah, take it another one. I take another one, just you know, a, a couple of variations, you know, and then you end up with seven or eight shots of uh, essentially more or less the same thing, and infallibly, every time, then I go back and I look at these eight shots. The first one is always the best, and I always pick the first one. It's 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 crazy.
2: Manuel, thanks so much for being on the show. This was really a lot of fun. I, we really had a great conversation. I, uh, I I hope you liked it too.
3: I, I did. Yes, it was uh, it was a pleasure. Yes. So that was
1: Manuel Billiter.
2: Yeah, really glad that we could make that work, and uh, I, I hope all of you appreciated the the ambiance because, of course, we were at uh, NAB when we recorded that.
1: And uh, definitely go check out Jessica Jones season three right now on Netflix. Yes,
2: indeed. Uh, okay, so, Ben, it's that time.
1: Time to pay bills.
2: Bill paying time. All right. Yes, we have to thank our uh, wonderful sponsor, Aerie. Uh, they are celebrating 10 years of a great big light they make uh, called the M18. The M18 is an oh, incredible. I know
1: the M18 well. Yeah. That's a great light. It is a
2: powerful 1800 watt open face light. And it's kind of a standard out there. If you need a really, really bright HMI light, you know, it's as small as a 1,200-watt light, so it's uh, it's relatively yeah, compact, but 70% more light. Uh, it's got a, an adjustable beam, so you can change the angle of light that's coming out of it from 20 to 60 degrees. It's like, uh, it's not an LED. LEDs get a lot of buzz these days, but still, I will tell you that lights, specifically the M18, get used on pretty much every big set out there. Yeah. It's a lot of punch. H- the it's, thing
1: yeah. is that like, I feel like uh, LEDs have kind of replaced <clears throat> incandescent lights. Sure. But HMIs are like there's the power of an HMI and what you can do with an HMI. I have yet to see it equaled by any LED.
2: Yeah, the LEDs uh, still have a ways to go in that regard. There are a few uh, specific ones out there that are really high power, but uh, they're not usurping the M18. The M18 is dominant on genie trucks out there. It is uh Yeah, is
1: a we used light. one on uh, on 20 Seconds to Live, which uh, is... Uh, ah, plugging your, your show. Always, online, yeah. always, <laughs> yeah. No, but uh, <laughs> our upcoming season two... Uh, We tend to light everything with, you know, panels and LEDs and kind of small instruments. But there was one scene in particular where we needed to open up a door or a window, rather, and light had to pour in, like really just pour pour in. And uh, George Floyd, our DP, asked me if we could get one. I found one on ShareGrid, literally on my street. (laughs) The guy was, at first I thought it was giving me, I was like, oh, it's giving me my own address. And I'm like, that's not my street address. It was literally like a short walk from my house. A dude was uh, renting uh, an M18.
2: Wow, yeah, you know that's that's sort of the interesting thing about uh, living in Los Angeles of all of all places is that there really is a uh, ability to uh, share filmmaking tools with your neighbors. It is, so. but
1: but yeah, that M eighteen like it is not a large light. It like it didn't. I was able to get it into my Kia Soul with no problem. Yeah, and well, yeah, and credit to your Kia Soul, it's got a lot of space. It's got some space, and you know, we had like a decent kind of. Uh, it wasn't a Crankovator stand, but it was like a stand that not wasn't a junior stand. Yeah, yeah, of some sort. and. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we were able to we used the hell out of that light we used it a lot more and uh, yeah it was definitely nothing we could have accomplished even with just using direct sunlight or uh, or any of the light panels that we had
2: so if you're out there looking at lights and think you know what i just need something bigger and better than most everything out there that you can still fit in the back of a kia soul and just blasts hmi daylight colored light uh take a look at the m18 definitely worth it awesome light (laughs) Okay, so Ben, uh, it's short end time.
1: Oh, that's that's my favorite time of the day.
2: It is your favorite time of the day, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm excited. So uh, you want me to kick it off, you wanna kick it off? How do you wanna uh, do this?
1: I'm gonna kick it off, because I have a really non-film related one. No? Um, Okay. And uh, I want to preface what I'm about to say. I'm about to I'm about to open up a little bit personally here. Whoa. Okay. My, uh, not, uh, not not too much. Ed- edge seat. Oh, I, <laughs> um, I am not, as you know, religious or spiritual in any way. No, I would not use either of those words to describe yes, you. I, I would actually use the words flaming atheist yeah. to describe myself. <laughs> That's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, so uh, recently I was listening to an interview with Penn Gillette who made... Uh, another my, flaming atheist. Yeah, yeah. like who... I, I pale in comparison, uh, and uh, Pendulet, who who we've actually worked for once. That's true. I wasn't most. gonna
2: I wasn't gonna go there. But you know, I don't I, care. I'm
1: actually, right. we worked for him twice now. That I think I,
2: it. I think it was three times. Was it? it was at least three times.
1: I only remember twice. Oh, anyway, okay. uh, longer story. Anyway, in this interview, he was talking about using an, a meditation app called Headspace, and what I associate with meditation is when I was about twelve years old, <clears throat> my uh, my ish dad put me in a transcendental meditation class where this guy kind of gave me a mantra. You're not supposed to share your mantra, but mine was Ima. I'm just happy to share my mantra because it's so meaningless. In in Japanese, I believe that means now. uh, Yeah. It's supposed to be a word that doesn't mean anything to you. So, um, anyway, so, uh, so, so I was given a mantra. I was never able, I, I tried a few times. I, I kind of feel like 12 year old boys are probably not your, your prime audience for transcendental meditation anyway. <laughs> um, and I gave it up and I always kind of threw it under the Deepak Chopra bus of, you know, pseudo spiritual stuff that I'm not interested in, but hearing Penn Jillette talk about it, I was like, Hmm, now why am I bringing it up in our context? Uh, The one that he uh, he recommended to one's called Waking Up and one's called Headspace. Uh, I I tried Headspace and I like it a lot. Hmm. Um, I the reason I'm bringing it up is that I feel like we live and work in an extremely stressful uh, industry. You know, the industry puts a lot of pressure on you. There's a lot of pressure to be competitive, and achieve, work harder, and it's very dog eat dog, and it's you know it's it's very difficult, and it's also really hard to carve out any time um, to to for yourself for your own well being. I hate using the term wellness, but that's it kind of falls under that mm. mindfulness, wellness, whatever. But I started doing it, and it's basically you're not given a mantra or anything. You're mostly just counting your breaths. But it and, and you can do it in five minutes, 10 minutes or 15 minute increments. Uh, I've been doing or, or 20, actually, I've been doing 15 and I can tell the days that I don't do it. I feel worse. And it and it kind of uh, it kind of just takes you in for 15 minutes. You're kind of like on that weird teetering edge of twilight, almost asleep, almost awake. You're completely aware of what's going on around you. Mm-hmm. Like it's not like some kind of a trance or anything freaky deaky there's literally zero spiritualism thrown at you zero uh you know mysticism like i would just if if the first time they brought that stuff up i'd be like deleting this app and i'm just finding enormous value out of it and i think that uh i I know you you told me that this would tar me as like the most stereotypical angelino to talk about this but um, and it has. <laughs> hey, look, it's fine. I've, I've I've lived here for twenty years.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well, it yeah, no more. Or, you know, can't. What What do people from Orlando call themselves? Orlandoites or something? You, you I, have, I don't like,
1: know. Florida man. Like look Florida at the, man. Yeah, Florida, Florida man. Florida man yes. Twitter feed. <laughs> I I think it's definitely an upgrade from Florida man.
2: Well, yeah. Now as an Angelino, you can uh, you can wear your meditation uh, you can wear your meditation uh, app with with pride. This yeah. is this is like the land of people of where people no, is doing that. I'm yeah. just
1: saying that like as someone who's skeptical about stuff like this, I'm actually finding an enormous amount of value in it. And it's, uh, you, there's a bunch of free meditations on the app. And then it's like, uh, it's like a hundred bucks a year or something. It's like 10 bucks a month ish. Um, wow, which, it, it is a serious plug. It is, it is, it is a serious plug no, yeah. because, uh, I mean like, I don't know any of the people who, who do it, but, it, but it was just interesting to me to, uh, to, to find something like that, that actually kind of like, slows you down like it does uh i think enable your creative brain to have a little bit of, to, to take a break from thinking all the all the goddamn time so that's that's my short end and uh, i know it's not film related and maybe people will be annoyed that i'm recommending meditation but I, to them i would say try it for free D- don't do this app do another app whatever don't do an app at all just close your eyes and count your breaths for 15 minutes it's probably all you need to do but um, but I think that uh, the, the the first thing I ever got hired to direct uh, was a thing called uh, the Burkittsville Seven, and one of the actors in it was a guy named Monty Bain. and uh, he's a really cool guy. He's got a, a like a cool resume, and he kind of pulled me aside at our wrap party and uh, and was like, you know, you're really young. I was I think I just turned thirty, mm. and he's like, you know, just just remember like take care of your health, take care of your health, and it and uh it's always kind of I always kind of hear it reverberating against me, Monty saying that because again, I was 30 and you know, when you're 30, you're not like, Oh, I'm mortal and will ever die. Like you're like, I'm a golden God. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, so you don't think about that kind of stuff, but I feel like, you know, and maybe it's something that you need to find, you know, when, when you're my age, whatever. But I feel like having some kind of practice, uh, some kind of focus on your own health is something that you can't, you can't not do because this business uh, will uh, literally ruin you. It will suck the life out of you if you let it.
2: Yeah. It's it's not just this business. It seems like ignore,
1: ignore your own health at your own peril. But this industry. And, and I have yeah. for long stretches of time. So I, I, I get it. Well, uh... Ilya, what is your short end? (laughs) Follow that shit up, motherfucker. Wow,
2: I kind of feel like the only thing I should do is, like, say, okay, my obsession is Overheard LA Twitter account, because... You know, it, yours didn't specifically give me an Overheard L.A., but there's like a half a dozen on there for sure with uh, meditation in, mm-hmm. so, in some way. And there is uh, tons of other really uh, funny stuff. There's also
1: there. the Los Feliz, uh, Los Feliz Daycare is, is is an amazing Twitter feed that is about as stereotypically Angelino as you can possibly get.
0: Mm.
2: Well, uh, okay, so I can't find an immediate uh, meditation. Uh, wait a sec here. Uh, let's see if this one's any good. Overheard L.A., Why were you sitting outside my house in an Escalade for five minutes? I was meditating in a silent Uber black because I knew as soon as I walked in here, you'd say something that would piss me off and I didn't want to ruin your
1: birthday party. That does sound like something that I would say. Yeah. Except except I don't really Uber around L.A., but yeah. (laughs) I also don't meditate in my car. Like, I'll, you know, I'm in the house. The baby's asleep. The dog's chilling out. I,
2: you know. Well, the one right below, it's pretty good.
1: It says, I have to move out. He wants me to start paying rent. (laughs)
2: <laughs>
1: very LA so uh okay so can, my- real quick can I tell you the most LA moment of my entire life definitely early day of uh not early but it was, it was maybe like 2005 ish so everyone had a cell phone and they were starting to get very common and I was driving down Van Nuys Boulevard I believe at like Magnolia ish and the car in front of me, the car, two cars in front of me stopped at a red light. The car in front of me failed to stop, Uh-oh. rear-ended the guy. But Uh-oh. it was, it was like in really slow traffic. They both got out still on their phones. They mm. were both on the phone when this happened. Yeah. They both got out, looked at what happened. There was no damage done to either car they gave each other the thumbs up they both without ever getting off the phone got back in their car and 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 drove away that's super la, <laughs> that is super LA. That's, today that's
2: an la story today moment. you would get yeah. a
1: ticket for that shit because you're not supposed to be holding a phone up to your head while you're driving no not at all but you see it constantly all, all the day. damn time I, well i mean like i've known i was an angelina for a long time but on facebook when someone asked for a good past life regression therapist <laughs> I, I guess, was like, hey, you I, you're I, total- almost, I almost responded like, I know the best past life regression therapist you'll ever find. It's me. I'm as good as anyone you'll ever talk to. Uh,
2: well, you know, we only have a million uh, yoga studios here and pokey restaurants. What
1: what the fuck with pokey? <laughs> it's it's everywhere.
2: I don't I don't get it. Anyway, okay, so, what's
1: hey, what's the deal with Los Angeles?
2: <laughs> Thank you, Jerry Seinfeld. That's that's pretty accurate. All right. So Hollywood Reporter actually had a really, really interesting article last month. About a guy named David Young. Uh, David Young I- works for the WGA, and he has sort of been spearheading this very aggressive uh, campaign to improve writers' conditions against the uh, the Hollywood agencies. All the major Hollywood agencies have joined uh, um, joined together, and
1: all the whole WGA versus writers' agencies thing. Oh, you mean you mean
2: uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it okay. is such a mess. It's a total mess, and let's not forget, like just it was a few years ago, we had writers' strike. So it's like this is basically up to be a war there was uh, this is
1: worse than a strike this is like an unannounced strike (laughs) like you can still hire writers you just can't through their agent and there's
2: plenty of writers who are still working just well they fired their agents exactly
1: that's seven thousand writers fired their agents well yeah and then uh verve which is uh which which was like a a medium-sized agency ended up taking like basically signing the agreement and then being flooded with uh with a-list writers yeah because they need agents. And to me, like, I, I don't pretend to understand the politics going on here, but I have to say that if my union told me I had to fire my agent, that would be a really uncomfortable day.
2: Yes, certainly. Uh, and yeah. also, I feel like. If you're a writer, they can kind of think for themselves, though it kind of doesn't matter what really what they they they, they say. I mean, it's still up to the individual writer to to do what they they want to but do. But they
1: can't sign a deal. So, like, if you're if you're signing a deal to write a movie or write a TV show, your agency has to be under a WGA contract. Sure. So when the WGA and your agency aren't under a contract together, then that that ruins that deal. And also by the way i think the the shittiest thing about this that i don't hear people talking about enough is that like writers who maybe aren't producing enough for an agent but their agent like kept them on because they believed in their talent sure they are being stricken from those roles and probably it's a hard case for once the dust settles for that agent to go back to the agency and say hey could you bring back on so-and-so who wasn't making us that much money in the first place no
2: actually i think it's going to be really really bad for a bunch of writers out there yeah, who it just
1: were. it just becomes a cheap excuse to clean house kind of like a strike would be like when there's a strike then anyone with a deal loses the deal and if they weren't producing for that studio then they don't get to come back to that
2: deal. well unlike a typical strike Work is still being purchased. Production is still going forward.
1: So it's like that. that That's what I'm saying. It's like it's like a strike without a strike.
2: Yeah. Uh, But I I would say that it's getting nasty and it's getting very public. Uh, The Writers Guild filed suit with the SEC because Endeavor is uh, looking to go public. And they basically made some claims against them saying they were overstating the number of agents. Sorry, overseeing the number of writers that they had signed to their agency. And I will tell you, they're not the only people who are trying to go public right now. just a couple of the other agencies are also talking about this so who knows what's going to happen next? I mean, the uh, agencies are now suing the Writers Guild. <sighs> it has become, uh, yeah, it's it's uh, it is juicy and gossipy, and it is a whole uh, mess of stuff. And it's interesting. So David Young, the guy who's uh, leading the charge from the Writers Guild, he used to work uh, in the garment industry as a, as an organizer, and uh, that uh, he's using many of the same tactics. And there's an interesting article from last month. You can find it for free. It's not behind a paywall on the Hollywood Reporter. Uh, called The Anger, Passion, and Scorched Earth Strategy of the Man in the Middle of the Hollywood Writers' War. Go read it. It's really good. You'll
1: enjoy it. Will do. Thank you very much.
2: All right, so Ben, uh, I think that pretty much wraps us up. Where where can people find uh, Mister Ben Rock? They can find me, uh, they can meditating. Find me meditating. Yes, <laughs> meditating under a rock with a baby. That's that's. Oh, sh- now I got to pay the swear jar.
1: Okay. Uh, yeah, well, I had I had mentioned the baby. <laughs> oh, well, you um, got to pay it. Too. Uh, yeah, uh, go to benrockonline dot com and you can see uh, my directing and or editing work. Uh, You can find me on Twitter at Neptune Salad. You can find me on Instagram at Benjamin underscore rock. Worst mistake of my entire life, I can say.
2: Worst mistake of your entire life is your Instagram handle. You're doing okay. You're doing uh, yeah, yeah, better that's, than that's most. That's not too you, bad. You, you've got first world problems right there. That is a serious
1: first world problem. First world so problem. Uh, where can people find you?
2: Me. Uh, you can find me in Burbank at Hot Rod Cameras. And come
1: here and demand your free t-shirt. That's
2: right. If you heard the show and you want to come here and say, hey, I I, I, I listen to the show. You, every week you're trying to make me give away t-shirts. I've noticed. I am. So it was, you know, first you had to send us a, a, a you know, a, a happy uh, email of some Sort and then it now it's just show up and say, Give me my shirt,
1: walk in the door and and say, I'd like to speak to Ilya Friedman (laughs) about my free t shirt that he owes me.
2: Believe it or not, we actually have several people who listen to the show. I will be out of shirts if everyone just comes in here and and demands that.
1: You should be so lucky. (laughs)
2: Uh maybe get a shirt with any purchase. <laughs> <laughs> buy
1: hey, a buy a stick of gum. Bu- also he doesn't oh sell God. gum. Here. Yeah,
2: I got bongo ties. That's probably what they're gonna buy. Like, oh, buy like,
1: bongo t- Man, everyone needs bongo ties.
2: You know, bongo ties are like the greatest thing that most people didn't know they ever needed. That's it's, true. That's really great. It's quite true. There's
1: bongo ties holding that
2: microphone right there in front of you. Wow, you're right. <laughs> it's it's they're they're amazing amazing tools. That's awesome. Yeah, the the O-rings, yeah, you know what no one wants to, he- to hear me talk about the the technical merits of our of our podcasting setup here but let me just say that bongo ties we love you because you're making it happen for us
1: all right bongo ties holds the world <laughs> together so who else would we like to thank let's let's thank our team
2: let's thank uh, our editorial staff first this time of uh ben Katz and abby corbett
1: yay
2: and uh, let's thank our producer alana cody who's making it happen in, in a really real way right now woohoo and uh, of course Kays alatrachi who is not hearing the sound of my voice who has never listened to an episode
1: Kays, you should be ashamed of yourself. Although he did make some good music, so, you know. Yeah, he gave us 100% of the music that you've heard in this episode and every other episode, and uh, you should check him out at musicbykays.com. Is there anyone else? Even though it should be everythingbykays.com because he does literally everything.
2: That's true. That's true. We're, we're, we're like a two-man band here trying to promote K's. as like, uh, you know. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah and, and he won't even listen to us. No, it's all right. It's just, Sh-
1: yeah, Sh- you just yourself. All right, that's that's about it, though. Thank you very much. We'll see you very soon for episode 40. Yeah, the big one.
0: This has been the Cinematography Podcast presented by Hot Rod Cameras. Find your next camera, lens, or accessory on the web at hotrodcameras.com. Don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes and connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.